lights for fairy nights. It's time for your bedtime story. Brought to you by me, the Suze. Also brought to you by me, Zelda. Put your PJs on and sit down for a soothing bedtime story. It's not just the devil in the details. What else is lurking? Fairy lights for fairy nights. Ah, you're listening to the ultra-feminine tones of Kenny Pick. Waiting for uh, Susan. Um, She's having um, Discord and microphone issues again. Couldn't hear her when we got set up, so... I figured I would start and uh, let everybody know this is the last iteration of what we're doing here as Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights. I think we have the Suze with us now. And I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm always with you. Yes. Always. And, um, yeah, so, uh, we're gonna start doing a show once a week, uh, probably still two hours, uh, but with a little more leeway if, if we need to go over. It's our network, you know, um based out of Cleveland here, so we'll uh, do whatever the the heck feels right, right? I like two hours, but I'd like even less time more often, (laughs) but everybody else wants more time. Longer. Yeah, well, two hours is fine. Okay, two hours is fine. But, you know, two and a half hours might be that sweet spot. Yeah. Well, yeah, you never know. I mean, but, you know, if, if we have more material for a show, you know, there might be time yeah. to go over. Um, but, yeah, so we've selected a new name uh, based on something old that has been around for a while, at, at least in my audio carts, for a very, very long yes. time. And was actually part of my old talk show. Mm-hmm. Um Adam also hoisted it <laughs> for his old talk show, um, and um, so we're gonna we're gonna bring it back. But the original idea was gonna be called um, "Lullabies from Dreamland," the concept we came up with a couple of years ago, which this yeah. show has loosely been based on. And um, but we're gonna get back to our old notes and everything on this, and um, make a fun show. And do you want to say the name, Suze, or do you want me to play the clip? I want you to play the clip. All right. Next Thursday, the debut of... Time for Go to Bed. Time for Go to Bed with the Suze. <laughs> yeah, so this is going to metamorphosize. It's going to be a live show, as it is now. Um, and then it will be recorded. But it will be more story times. And uh, yeah. hopefully, you know, when Zelda gets done with her campaigning, we'll be able to do something for fairy lights and fairy nights and, and continue along the line she wants to, which is not alive. She doesn't want to do live shows. Yeah. So we'll continue that, mm-hmm. hopefully. But uh, we have some time to uh, um, to talk about that. Sure. Zelda and I. But right now, I like live. I like being live, so I want to continue doing a live show. Yes. So that's my my feelings. Yeah. So. And uh, you know, and it's uh it's something that I I'm just have been doing for so long. It's just you know, it's second nature to me. So. 
Yeah. Uh, and you know, I think so. You I, don't I have to like track that. me down for uh, you know for a co-host. So, mm-hmm. um, and I don't mind You're doing here. doing a couple of shows a week. Uh, I obviously was used to that for many many years. I was doing nine hours uh, a week for a very long time. So very long time. Yeah, and uh, so five hours is uh, that's a cakewalk. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so our two original programs, uh, will be, it came from Cleveland on Fridays and then Thursday is going to be, um, time for go to bed. Yes. Time for go to bed. So time for go to bed. But yeah, we do have, we have more ideas. We're just not going to throw them all at you at the same time. Mm -hmm. Then you'll get confused and frightened as I would be. Yeah. But. Uh, we will throw them at you. Yeah, you, you will be th- things will be thrown at you in the next couple weeks. So prepare for that. It's a metamorphosis. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So w- should we save that for the end? Yeah, the end. But um, we are to do some more Oz. And, We're going to uh, finish the marvelous the land of Oz. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven chapters left. Um, and it should be just enough, uh, you know, but the first one's very long and we should probably get that going soon because it's, um, mm-hmm. it's almost 20 minutes long. Yeah. And, um, Let's throw, throw one out. You're ready for that? So this is yes. in the Jack Dawes nest. And of course the last chapter we heard was all about the, what the flight of the gump, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so in the Jack Dawes nest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 18 In the Jackdaw's Nest This said the gump, in a squeaky voice not at all proportioned to the size of its great body, is the most novel experience I ever heard of. The last thing I remember distinctly is walking through the forest and hearing a loud noise. Something probably killed me then, and it certainly ought to have been the end of me, yet here I am, alive again with four monstrous wings, and a body which I venture to say would make any respectable animal or fowl weep with shame to own. What does it all mean? Am I a gump, or am I a juggernaut? The creature, as it spoke, wiggled its chin-whiskers in a very comical manner. You're just a thing, answered Tip, with a gump's head on it, and we have made you and brought you to life so that you may carry us through the air wherever we wish to go. Very good, said the thing, as I am not a gump, I cannot have a gump's pride or independent spirit, so I may as well become your servant as anything else. My only satisfaction is that I do not seem to have a very strong constitution, and am not likely to live long in a state of slavery. Don't say that, I beg of you, cried the tin woodman, whose excellent heart was strongly affected by this sad speech. Are you not feeling well today? Oh, as for that, returned the gump, It is my first day of existence, so I cannot judge whether I am feeling well or ill. 
and it waved its broom tail to and fro in a pensive manner. Come, come, said the scarecrow kindly. Do try to be more cheerful, and take life as you find it. We shall be kind masters, and will strive to render your existence as pleasant as possible. You are willing to carry us through the air wherever we wish to go? Certainly, answered the gump. I greatly prefer to navigate the air. For should I travel on the earth and meet with one of my own species, my embarrassment would be something awful. I can appreciate that, said the Tin Woodman sympathetically. And yet, continued the thing, when I carefully look you over, my masters, none of you seems to be constructed much more artistically than I am. Appearances are deceitful, said the Wogglebug earnestly. I am both highly magnified and thoroughly educated. Indeed, murmured the gump indifferently. And my brains are considered remarkably rare specimens, added the scarecrow proudly. How strange, remarked the gump. Although I am of tin, said the woodman, I own a heart altogether the warmest and most admirable in the whole world. I am delighted to hear it, replied the gump with a slight cough. My smile, Said Jack Pumpkinhead, is worthy your best attention. It is always the same. Semper I dem, explained the Wogglebugs pompously, and the gump turned to stare at him. And I, declared the sawhorse, filling in an awkward pause, am only remarkable because I can't help it. I am proud indeed to meet such exceptional masters, said the gump in a careless tone. If I could but secure so complete an introduction to myself, I would be more than satisfied. That will come, remarked the scarecrow. To know thyself is considered quite an accomplishment, which it has taken us who are your elders months to perfect. But now, he added, turning to the others, let us get aboard and start upon our journey. Where shall we go? Asked Tip as he clambered to a seat on the sofas and assisted the pumpkin head to follow him. In the south country rules a very delightful queen called Glenda the Good, who I am sure will gladly receive us, said the scarecrow, getting into the thing clumsily. Let us go to her and ask her advice. That is very cleverly thought of, declared Nick Chopper, giving the wogglebug a boost and then toppling the sawhorse into the rear end of the cushioned seats. I know Glenda the Good, and believe she will prove a friend indeed. Are we all ready? asked the boy. Yes, announced the Tin Woodman, seating himself beside the Scarecrow. Then, said Tip, addressing the Gump, be kind enough to fly with us to the southward. And do not go higher than to escape the houses and trees, for it makes me dizzy to go up so far. All right, answered the Gump briefly. It flopped its four huge wings and rose slowly into the air, and then, while our little band of adventurers clung to the backs and sides of the sofas for support, the gump turned toward the south and soared swiftly and majestically away. The scenic effect from this altitude is marvelous, commented the educated wogglebug as they rode along. Never mind the scenery, said the scarecrow. Hold on tight, or you may get a tumble. The thing seems to rock badly. It will be dark soon, 
said Tip, observing that the sun was low on the horizon. Perhaps we should have waited until morning. I wonder if the gump can fly in the night. I've been wondering that myself, returned the gump quietly. You see, this is a new experience to me. I used to have legs that carried me swiftly over the ground, but now my legs feel as if they were asleep. They are, said Tip. We didn't bring them to life. You're expected to fly, explained the scarecrow, not to walk. We can walk ourselves, said the wogglebug. I begin to understand what is required of me, remarked the gump. So I will do my best to please you. And he flew on for a time in silence. Presently Jack Pumpkinhead became uneasy. I wonder if riding through the air is liable to spoil pumpkins, he said. Not unless you carelessly drop your head over the side, answered the wogglebug. In that event, your head would no longer be a pumpkin, for it would become a squash. Have I not asked you to restrain these unfeeling jokes? demanded Tip, looking at the wogglebug with a severe expression. You have, and I've restrained a good many of them, replied the insect. But there are opportunities for so many excellent puns in our language that, to an educated person like myself, the temptation to express them is almost irresistible. People with more or less education discovered those puns centuries ago, said Tip. Are you sure? asked the wogglebug with a startled look. Of course I am, answered the boy. An educated wogglebug may be a new thing. But a wogglebug education is as old as the hills, judging from the display you make of it. The insect seemed much impressed by this remark, and for a time maintained a meek silence. The scarecrow, in shifting his seat, saw upon the cushions the pepper box which Tip had cast aside and began to examine it. Throw it overboard, said the boy. It's quite empty now, and there's no use keeping it. Is it really empty? asked the scarecrow, looking curiously into the box. Of course it is, answered Tip. I shook out every grain of the powder. Then the box has two bottoms, announced the scarecrow, for the bottom on the inside is fully an inch away from the bottom on the outside. Let me see, said the tin woodman, taking the box from his friend. Yes, he declared after looking it over. The thing certainly has a false bottom. Now I wonder what that is for. Can't you get it apart and find out? inquired Tip, now quite interested in the mystery. Why, yes, the lower bottom unscrews, said the tin woodman. My fingers are rather stiff. Please see if you can open it. He handed the pepper box to Tip, who had no difficulty in unscrewing the bottom, and in the cavity below were three silver pills with a carefully folded paper lying underneath them. This paper the boy proceeded to unfold, taking care not to spill the pills, and found several lines clearly written in red ink. Read it aloud, said the scarecrow. So Tip read as follows Dr. Nicky Dick's Celebrated Wishing Pills. Directions for use Swallow one pill, count seventeen by twos, then make a wish. The wish will immediately be granted. Caution! Keep in a dark and dry place. Why, this is a very valuable discovery, cried the scarecrow. 
"'It is indeed,' replied Tip gravely. "'These pills may be of great use to us. "'I wonder if old Mombi knew they were in the bottom of the pepper-box. "'I remember hearing her say that she got the pepper of life from this same Nicky-Dick.' "'He must be a powerful sorcerer,' exclaimed the tin woodman. "'And since the powder proved a success, we ought to have confidence in the pills.' "'But how?' asked the scarecrow. "'Can any one count seventeen by twos? Seventeen is an odd number.' "'That is true,' replied Tip, greatly disappointed. "'No one can possibly count seventeen by twos.' "'Then the pills are of no use to us,' wailed the pumpkin-head, "'and this fact overwhelms me with grief, "'for I had intended wishing that my head would never spoil.' "'Nonsense,' said the scarecrow sharply. "'If we could use the pills at all, "'we would make far better wishes than that.' "'I do not see how anything could be better,' protested poor Jack. "'If you were liable to spoil at any time, you would understand my anxiety.' "'For my part,' said the tin woodman, "'I sympathize with you in every respect. "'But since we cannot count seventeen by twos, "'sympathy is all you are liable to get.' "'By this time it had become quite dark, "'and the voyagers found above them a cloudy sky, "'through which the rays of the moon could not penetrate. The gump flew steadily on, and for some reason the huge sofa-body rocked more, and more dizzily, every hour. The Wogglebug declared he was seasick, and Tip was also pale and somewhat distressed, but the others clung to the backs of the sofas, and did not seem to mind the motion, as long as they were not tipped out. Darker and darker grew the night, and on and on sped the gump through the black heavens. The travelers could not even see one another, and an oppressive silence settled down upon them. After a long time, Tip, who had been thinking deeply, spoke. "'How are we to know when we come to the palace of Glenda the Good?' he asked. "'It's a long way to Glenda's palace,' answered the woodman. "'I've traveled it.' "'But how are we to know how fast the gump is flying?' persisted the boy." "'We cannot see a single thing down on the earth, "'and by morning we may be far beyond the place we want to reach.' "'That is all true enough,' the scarecrow replied a little uneasily. "'But I do not see how we can stop just now, "'for we might alight in a river or on the top of a steeple, "'and that would be a great disaster.' "'So they permitted the gump to fly on with regular flops of its great wings, "'and waited patiently for morning.' Then Tip's fears were proven to be well-founded, for with the first streaks of gray dawn they looked over the sides of the sofa and discovered rolling plains dotted with queer villages, where the houses, instead of being dome-shaped as they all are in the land of Oz, had slanting roofs that rose to a peak in the center. Odd-looking animals were also moving about upon the open plains, and the country was unfamiliar to both the tin woodman and the scarecrow, who had formerly visited Glenda the Good's domain and knew it well. "'We are lost,' said the Scarecrow dolefully. "'The gump must have carried us entirely out of the land of Oz, and over the sandy deserts and into the terrible outside world that Dorothy told us about.' "'We must get back,' exclaimed the Tin Woodman earnestly. "'We must get back as soon as possible.' "'Turn around!' cried Tip to the gump. "'Turn as quickly as you can!' "'If I do, I shall upset!' answered the gump. 
I'm not at all used to flying, and the best plan would be for me to alight in some place, and then I can turn around and take a fresh start. Just then, however, there seemed to be no stopping place that would answer their purpose. They flew over a village so big that the Wogglebug declared it was a city. And then they came to a range of high mountains with many deep gorges and steep cliffs showing plainly. Now is our chance to stop, said the boy, finding they were very close to the mountain tops. Then he turned to the gump and commanded, Stop at the first level place you see. Very well, answered the gump, and settled down upon a table of rock that stood between two cliffs. But, not being experienced in such matters, the gump did not judge his speed correctly, and instead of coming to a stop upon the flat rock, he missed it by half the width of his body, breaking off both his right wings against the sharp edge of the rock, and then tumbling over and over down the cliff. Our friends held on to the sofas as long as they could, but when the gump caught on a projecting rock, the thing stopped suddenly bottom side up, and all were immediately dumped out. By good fortune they fell only a few feet, for underneath them was a monster nest built by a colony of jackdaws in a hollow ledge of rock. So none of them, not even the pumpkin head, was injured by the fall, for Jack found his precious head resting on the soft breast of the scarecrow, which made an excellent cushion, and Tip fell on a mass of leaves and papers which saved him from injury. The Wogglebug had bumped his round head against the sawhorse, but without causing him more than a moment's inconvenience. The Tin Woodman was at first much alarmed, but finding he had escaped without even a scratch upon his beautiful nickel plate, he had at once regained his accustomed cheerfulness and turned to address his comrades. Our journey had ended rather suddenly, said he, and we cannot justly blame our friend the Gump for our accident. "'because he did the best he could under the circumstances. "'But how we are ever to escape from this nest, "'I must leave to someone with better brains than I possess.' "'Here he gazed at the scarecrow, "'who crawled to the edge of the nest and looked over. "'Below them was a sheer precipice, "'several hundred feet in depth. "'Above them was a smooth cliff, "'unbroken, save by the point of rock "'where the wrecked body of the gump still hung suspended.' from the end of one of the sofas. There really seemed to be no means of escape, and as they realized their helpless plight, the little band of adventurers gave way to their bewilderness. "'This is a worse prison than the palace,' sadly remarked the Wogglebug. "'I wish we had stayed there,' moaned Jack. "'I'm afraid the mountain air isn't good for pumpkins.' "'It won't be when the jackdaws come back,' growled the sawhorse, which lay waving its legs in a vain attempt to get upon its feet again. "'Jackdaws are especially fond of pumpkins.' "'Do you think the birds will come here?' asked Jack, much distressed. "'Of course they will,' said Tip, "'for this is their nest, and there must be hundreds of them,' he continued. "'For see what a lot of things they have brought here.' Indeed, the nest was half filled with the most curious collection of small articles for which the birds could have no use, but which the thieving jackdaws had stolen during many years from the homes of men, and as the nest was safely hidden where no human being could reach it, this lost property would never be recovered. 
the Wogglebug, searching among the rubbish, for the jackdaws stole useless things as well as valuable ones, turned up with his foot a beautiful diamond necklace. This was so greatly admired by the tin woodman that the Wogglebug presented it to him with a graceful speech, after which the woodman hung it around his neck with much pride. Rejoicing exceedingly when the big diamonds glittered in the sun's rays. But now they heard a great jabbering and flopping of wings, and as the sound grew nearer to them, Tip exclaimed, The jackdaws are coming, and if they find us, they will surely kill us in their anger. I was afraid of this, moaned the pumpkin head. My time has come. And mine also, said the wogglebug, for jackdaws are the greatest enemies of my race. The others were not at all afraid, but the scarecrow at once decided to save those of the party who were liable to be injured by the angry birds. So he commanded Tip to take off Jack's head and lie down with it in the bottom of the nest. And when this was done, he ordered the wogglebug to lie beside Tip. Nick Chopper, who knew from past experience just what to do, then took the scarecrow to pieces, all except his head, and scattered the straw over Tip and the wogglebug, completely covering their bodies. Hardly had this been accomplished when the flock of jackdaws reached them. Perceiving the intruders in their nest, the birds flew down upon them with screams of rage. End chapter 18 Screams of rage. Here come the jackdaws. They'll kill ya. They're, they're all about to get jackdawed up. <laughs> I guess they're bigger. I guess these birds are big. Well, uh, you know, they, they grow things a little bigger in Oz sometimes. It's true. So, you know, I just love that, you know, the the Tin Woodsman is being, uh, or the Tin Woodman. That's the correct word, right? The Tin Woodman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I just love that they keep referring to him by his actual name, Nick Chopper, which, you know, we never got that from the movie. No, not too much, but so. uh, it goes into more story mm -hmm. in the in the book than yeah, uh, yeah. So Nick it's like Chopper. Hey, he's got an identity. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um. Yeah. So the 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 Gump is pretty j screwed up. Yeah. So the getaway it, Gump. Is it the ed end of the road for the Gump? I don't think so. I think they put him back together, but um Yeah, well, well, we'll find out. But um the uh I but again, this is another one of those much like Alice in Wonderland um mm -hmm. Hey kids, let's take pills. <laughs> you know, yeah. like just like uh, who would ever think that that would become a problem? No. <laughs> well, Children. like I said, turn of the century. It was a much more naive time. Yeah. Coke, you know, Coca-Cola was uh, had actual cocaine in it. Sure did. It's a hell of a drug. Yummy. It's a hell of a drug. How could that cause problems? Just trace minute amounts of cocaine. Sure. Just a little bit. A little dabble, do you? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so if we're going to stay on track here uh, to get this story wrapped up. And I'm going to miss this guy. I, I enjoy, I've, I've been really kind of growing accustomed to his readings. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
This is, but this this next one though is about uh, the wishing pills. Uh, this next chapter. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. What is it? Doctor, what's his name? Doctor Kittix. Oh, wait, Doctor Nikitik's famous wishing pills. Is that it? Yeah, I think so. But um, I don't know if we ever get to meet Doctor, the Doctor. Nikitik. But I know that. Yeah, so, well, let's he's, see. I he's mean, an actual actual doctor in the land of Oz, so let's see how that goes. No quackery going on there. So, <laughs> all right, let's see. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 19 Dr. Nicky Dick's Famous Wishing Pills The Tin Woodman was usually a peaceful man, but when occasion required he could fight as fiercely as a Roman gladiator. So, when the jackdaws nearly knocked him down in their rush of wings and their sharp beaks and claws threatened to damage his brilliant plating, the woodman picked up his axe and made it whirl swiftly around his head. But although many were beaten off in this way, the birds were so numerous and so brave that they continued the attack as furiously as before. Some of them pecked at the eyes of the gump, which hung over the nest in a helpless condition. But the gump's eyes were of glass and could not be injured. Others of the jackdaws rushed at the sawhorse, but that animal being still upon his back, kicked out so viciously with his wooden legs that he beat off as many assailants as did the woodman's axe. Finding themselves thus opposed, the birds fell upon the scarecrow's straw which lay at the center of the nest, covering Tip and the Wogglebug and Jack's pumpkin head, and began tearing it away and flying off with it, only to let it drop straw by straw into the great gulf beneath. The scarecrow's head, noting with dismay this wanton destruction of his interior, cried to the tin woodman to save him, and that good friend responded with renewed energy. His axe fairly flashed among the jackdaws, and fortunately the gump began wildly waving the two wings remaining on the left side of his body. The flutter of these great wings filled the jackdaws with terror, and when the gump by its exertions freed itself from the peg of rock on which it held, and sank flopping onto the nest, the alarm of the birds knew no bounds, and they fled screaming over the mountains. When the last foe had disappeared, Tip crawled from under the sofas and assisted the Wogglebug to follow him. "'We are saved!' shouted the boy delightedly. "'We are indeed!' responded the educated insect, fairly hugging the stiff head of the gump in his joy. "'And we owe it all to the flopping of the thing, and the good axe of the woodman!' "'If I am saved, get me out of here!' cried Jack, whose head was still beneath the sofas, and Tip managed to roll the pumpkin out and place it upon its neck again. He also set the sawhorse upright and said to it, "'We owe you many thanks for the gallant fight you made.' "'I really think we have escaped very nicely.' remarked the tin woodman in a tone of pride. "'Not so!' exclaimed a hollow voice. At this they all turned in surprise to look at the scarecrow's head, which lay at the back of the nest. "'I am completely ruined!' declared the scarecrow as he noted their astonishment. "'For where is the straw that stuffs my body?' The awful question startled them all. 
they gazed around the nest with horror, for not a vestige of straw remained. The jackdaws had stolen it to the last wisp and flung it all into the chasm that yawned for hundreds of feet beneath the nest. My poor, poor friend, said the tin woodman, taking up the scarecrow's head and caressing it tenderly. Whoever could imagine you could come to this untimely end? I did it to save my friends, returned the head, and I'm glad that I perished in so noble and unselfish a manner. But why are you all so despondent? inquired the wogglebug. The scarecrow's clothing is still safe. Yes, answered the tin woodman. But our friend's clothes are useless without stuffing. Why not stuff him with money? asked Tip. Money! they all cried in an amazed chorus. To be sure, said the boy, in the bottom of the nest are thousands of dollar bills, and two dollar bills, and five dollar bills, and tens, and twenties, and fifties. There are enough of them to stuff a dozen scarecrows. Why not use the money? The tin woodman began to turn over the rubbish with the handle of his axe. And sure enough, what they had first thought were only worthless papers were found to be all bills of various denominations, which the mischievous jackdaws had for years been engaged in stealing from the villages and cities they visited. There was an immense fortune lying in that inaccessible nest, and Tip's suggestion was, with the scarecrow's consent, quickly acted upon. They selected all the newest and cleanest bills and assorted them into various piles. The scarecrow's left leg and boot were stuffed with five dollar bills. His right leg was stuffed with ten dollar bills. And his body so closely filled with fifties, one hundreds, and one thousands that he could scarcely button his jacket with comfort. You are now, said the wogglebug impressively, when the task had been completed, the most valuable member of our party, and as you are among faithful friends, there is little danger of your being spent. Thank you, returned the scarecrow gratefully. I feel like a new man, and although at first glance I might be mistaken for a safety deposit vault, I beg you to remember that my brains are still composed of the same old material, and these are the possessions that have always made me a person to depend upon in an emergency. Well, the emergency is here, observed Tip, and unless your brains help us out of it, we shall be compelled to pass the remainder of our lives in this nest. How about these wishing pills? inquired the scarecrow, taking the box from his jacket pocket. Can we use them to escape? Not unless we can count seventeen by twos, answered the tin woodman. But our friend the wogglebug claims to be highly educated, so he ought easily to figure out how that can be done. It isn't a question of education, returned the insect. It's merely a question of mathematics. I've seen the professor work lots of sums on the blackboard, and he claimed anything could be done with X's and Y's and A's and such things by mixing them up with plenty of pluses and minuses and equals and so forth, but he never said anything so far as I can remember about counting up to the odd number of seventeen by the even numbers of twos. Stop, stop, cried the pumpkin head. You're making my headache. And mine, added the scarecrow. Your mathematics seem to me very like a bottle of mixed pickles. The more you fish for what you want, the less chance you have of getting it. I am certain that if the thing can be accomplished at all, it is in a very simple manner. Yes, said Tip. Old Mombi used to use X's and minuses, but she never went to school. Why not start counting at a half of one? asked the sawhorse abruptly. Then anyone can count up to seventeen by twos very easily. 
they looked at each other in surprise, for the sawhorse was considered the most stupid of the entire party. You make me quite ashamed of myself, said the scarecrow, bowing low to the sawhorse. Nevertheless, the creature is right, declared the woggle bug. For twice one half is done, and if you get to one, it is easy to count from one up to seventeen by twos. I wonder I didn't think of that myself, said the pumpkin head. I don't, returned the scarecrow. You're no wiser than the rest of us, are you? But let us make a wish at once. Who will swallow the first pill? Suppose you do it, suggested Tip. I can't, said the scarecrow. Why not? You have a mouth, haven't you? asked the boy. Yes, but my mouth is painted on, and there's no swallow connected with it, answered the scarecrow. In fact, he continued, looking from one to another critically, I believe the boy and the wogglebug are the only ones in our party that are able to swallow. Observing the truth of this remark, Tip said, Then I will undertake to make the first wish. Give me one of the silver pills. This the scarecrow tried to do, but his padded gloves were too clumsy to clutch so small an object, and he held the box toward the boy while Tip selected one of the pills and swallowed it. Count! cried the scarecrow. One half, one, three, five, seven, nine, eleven, counted Tip. Thirteen, fifteen, seventeen. Now wish, said the tin woodman anxiously. But just then the boy began to suffer such fearful pains that he became alarmed. The pill has poisoned me, he gasped. Oh, oh, ouch, murder, fire, oh! And here he rolled upon the bottom of the nest in such contortions that he frightened them all. What can we do for you? Speak, I beg, entreated the tin woodman, tears of sympathy running down his nickel cheeks. I, I don't know, answered Tip. Oh, I wish I'd never swallowed that pill. Then at once the pain stopped, and the boy rose to his feet again and found the scarecrow looking with amazement at the end of the pepper box. What's happened? asked the boy, a little ashamed of his recent exhibition. Why, the three pills are in the box again, said the scarecrow. Of course they are, the wogglebug declared. Didn't Tip wish he'd never swallowed one of them? Well, the wish came true, and he didn't swallow one of them, so of course they are all three in the box. That may be, but the pill gave me a dreadful pain just the same, said the boy. Impossible, declared the wogglebug. If you never swallowed it, the pill cannot have given you pain, and as your wish being granted proves you did not swallow the pill, it is also plain that you suffered no pain. Then it was a splendid imitation of pain, retorted Tip angrily. Suppose you try the next pill yourself. We've wasted one wish already. Oh, no, we haven't, protested the scarecrow. Here are still three pills in the box, and each pill is good for a wish. Now you're making my head ache, said Tip. I can't understand the thing at all, but I won't take another pill, I promise you. And with this remark, he retired sulkily to the back of the nest. Well, said the wogglebug. It remains for me to save us in my most highly magnified and thoroughly educated manner, for I seem to be the only one able and willing to make a wish. Let me have one of the pills. He swallowed it without hesitation, and they all stood admiring his courage while the insect counted seventeen by twos in the same way that Tip had done. And for some reason, perhaps because wogglebugs have stronger stomachs than boys, the silver pellet caused no pain whatever. I wish the gump's broken wings mended and as good as new. 
said the Wogglebug in a slow and impressive voice. All turned to look at the thing, and so quickly had the wish been granted that the gump lay before them in perfect repair, and as well able to fly through the air as when it had first been brought to life on the roof of the palace. End chapter 19 I think they could have fixed him and saved a wish, but hey. Hey, this is where drugs get you. <laughs> you forget about your friends. You no, do they remembered things. their friends. It's nice. <laughs> I know, just kidding. So, yeah, that was very confusing, um, but it was, you know, it was it was entertaining. Yeah. So we've enjoyed a lot of uh, a lot of uh, the dis the the information on commercials about different medications, and one of my favorites is, "Do not take the pill if you're allergic to the pill." How are you going to know you're allergic to the pill till you take the pill? Yeah, doesn't make any sense. May cause your perineum explosions. Yeah, may or cause perineum. Perineum. May cause skin of, skin of the perineum, perineum to catch on fire. Yeah, that's creepy. Why has it got to be the perineum? Why? Yeah, may cause monkey blisters. Taint monkey blisters, yeah. <laughs> it's creepy. <laughs> Where yep. monkeys will pop out of your skin. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, those commercials, man. What are you doing, FDA? You gotta make fun of them. I, I thank gosh we're making fun of them, because they were annoying, they were annoying, they were annoying, and then you just gotta start making fun of them. Well, you know so. what else is, what else is also uh, true, though, is every jingle for modern commercials is terrible. Yeah. The daisy, oh, yeah. the, we, we're always making fun of the daisy products. Do, 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 do a dollop of daisy. Oh my God, that makes me want to just tear my, jab a knitting needle in my ear. Um, yeah, and they're trying to make it a hashtag, which is like, oh no. It's bad I enough mean, that it, it's a jingle that makes me crazy. I mean, it makes, you know, it makes, uh, uh, you know, the Mentos commercial seem like an awesome epic classic rock song, you know? It's so yeah, bad. Yeah, sure does. Uh, and then there's that Hempvana commercial set to Happy Birthday to You that makes me want to burn down the world. Yes, it does. Hempvana, Hempvana, your body will thank you. Oh, my God. What is wrong with jingles today? Commercials, drug commercials and jingles. They're all terrible. <laughs> Foxfire agrees. Those daisy commercials. Yeah, there's do a dollop and only only Daisy cottage cheese will do. Oh my God! Yeah, yep. burn it all down, burn it all down. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you so, better be believing it. Yeah, but there's so many bad ones. There's so many bad commercials, and then of course the Joe Namath one that's on auto repeat every five seconds. <laughs> I haven't oh, been Joe seeing Namath. the Tom Why? Selleck ones. I haven't been seeing the Tom Selleck ones. I think people are were terrified of the last one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, commercials are all awful now. And the, yeah. the human motorcycle hybrid guy that just creeps me out. Don't like. Yeah, I don't mind that. Yeah, it, it weirds but, me out. Yeah. Hmm. 
So it's just stupid. It's yeah. all dumb. Yeah. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Um, but anyway, anyway. Uh, yeah. All right. I don't want to digress too Onward. much. Yeah, we've got we've got a lot more to get to. This one will take us up to about the top of the hour, but we're just going to keep on trucking. We're not really going to take any kind of uh, intermission or break or anything like that. Um, just because we want to make sure we get the whole story in. So the next sure. one is um, called... Oh, this should be exciting. The Scarecrow Appeals to uh, Glinda, the Wit- Glinda the Good Witch. Nice. So uh, another familiar uh, character from the world of Oz, the magical, the marvelous land of Oz, will be appearing in this. This is about 16 minutes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 20 The Scarecrow Appeals to Glenda the Good Hooray! shouted the Scarecrow gaily. We can now leave this miserable jackdaw's nest whenever we please. But it is nearly dark, said the Tin Woodman, and unless we wait until morning to make our flight, we may get into more trouble. I don't like these night trips, for one never knows what will happen. So it was decided to wait until daylight, and the adventurers amused themselves in the twilight by searching the jackdaw's nest for treasures. The Wogglebug found two handsome bracelets of wrought gold, which fitted his slender arms very well. The Scarecrow took a fancy for rings, of which there were many in the nest. Before long he had fitted a ring to each finger of his padded gloves, and, not being content with that display, he added one more to each thumb. As he carefully chose those rings set with sparkling stones, such as rubies, amethysts, and sapphires, the scarecrow's hands now presented a most brilliant appearance. "'This nest would make a picnic for Queen Ginger,' said he musingly. "'For as nearly as I can make out, she and her girls conquered me merely to rob my city of its emeralds.' The tin woodman was content with his diamond necklace and refused to accept any additional decorations. But Tip secured a fine gold watch, which was attached to a heavy fob, and placed it in his pocket with much pride. He also pinned several jeweled brooches to Jack Pumpkinhead's red waistcoat, and attached a lorgnette by means of a fine chain to the neck of the sawhorse. "'It is very pretty,' said the creature, regarding the lorgnette approvingly. "'But what is it for?' "'None of them could answer that question, however, "'so the sawhorse decided it was some rare decoration "'and became very fond of it. "'That none of the party might be slighted, "'they ended by placing several large seal rings "'upon the points of the gump's antlers, "'although that odd personage seemed by no means gratified by the attention.' Darkness soon fell upon them, and Tip and the Wogglebug went to sleep, while the others sat down to wait patiently for the day. Next morning they had cause to congratulate themselves upon the useful condition of the gump, for with daylight a great flock of jackdaws approached to engage in one more battle for the possession of the nest. But our adventurers did not wait for the assault. They tumbled into the cushioned seats of the sofas as quickly as possible, and Tip gave the word to the gump 
to start. At once it rose into the air, the great wings flapping strongly and with regular motions, and in a few moments they were so far from the nest that the chattering jackdaws took possession without any attempt at pursuit. The thing flew due north, going in the same direction from whence it had come. At least that was the scarecrow's opinion, and the others agreed that the scarecrow was the best judge of direction. After passing over several cities and villages, the gump carried them high above a broad plain, where houses became more and more scattered, until they disappeared altogether. Next came the wide, sandy desert, separating the rest of the world from the land of Oz, and before noon they saw the dome-shaped houses that proved they were once more within the borders of their native land. "'But the houses and fences are blue,' said the tin woodman, and that indicates we are in the land of the munchkins, and therefore a long distance from Glenda the Good. What shall we do? asked the boy, turning to their guide. I don't know, replied the scarecrow frankly. If we were at the Emerald City, we could then move directly southward, and so reach our destination. But we dare not go to the Emerald City, and the gump is probably carrying us farther in the wrong direction with every flop of its wings. "'Then the Wogglebug must swallow another pill,' said Tip decidedly, "'and wish us headed in the right direction.' "'Very well,' returned the highly magnified one. "'I'm willing.' But when the Scarecrow searched his pocket for the pepper-box containing the two silver wishing-pills, it was not to be found. Filled with anxiety, the voyagers hunted throughout every inch of the thing for the precious box, but it had disappeared entirely.' and still the gump flew onward, carrying them they knew not where. "'I must have left the pepper-box in the jackdaw's nest,' said the scarecrow at length. "'It is a great misfortune,' the tin woodman declared. "'But we are no worse off than before we discovered the wishing-pills.' "'We are better off,' replied Tip, "'for the one pill we used has enabled us to escape from that horrible nest.' Yet the loss of the other two is serious, and I deserve a good scolding for my carelessness, the scarecrow rejoined penitently. For in such an unusual party as this, accidents are liable to happen at any moment, and even now we may be approaching a new danger. No one dared contradict this, and a dismal silence ensued. The gump flew steadily on. Suddenly Tip uttered an exclamation of surprise. "'We must have reached the south country,' he cried, "'for below us everything is red.' Immediately they all leaned over the backs of the sofas to look, all except Jack, who was too careful of his pumpkin head to risk its slipping off his neck. Sure enough, the red houses and fences and trees indicated they were within the domain of Glenda the Good. And presently, as they glided rapidly on, the tin woodman recognized the roads and buildings they passed, and altered slightly the flight of the gump, so that they might reach the palace of the celebrated sorceress. "'Good!' cried the scarecrow delightedly. "'We do not need the lost wishing-pills now, for we have arrived at our destination.' Gradually the thing sank lower and nearer to the ground, until at length it came to rest within the beautiful gardens of Glinda, "'settling upon a velvety green lawn close by a fountain, "'which sent sprays of flashing gems instead of water, high into the air, 
whence they fell with a soft, tinkling sound into the carved marble basin placed to receive them. Everything was very gorgeous in Glenda's gardens, and while our voyagers gazed about with admiring eyes, a company of soldiers silently appeared and surrounded them. But these soldiers of the great sorceress were entirely different from those of Ginger's army of revolt, although they were likewise girls. For Glenda's soldiers wore neat uniforms, and bore swords and spears, and they marched with a skill and precision that proved them well trained in the arts of war. The captain commanding this troop, which was Glenda's private bodyguard, recognized the scarecrow and the tin woodman at once, and greeted them with respectful salutations. Good day, said the scarecrow, gallantly removing his hat, while the woodman gave a soldierly salute. We have come to request an audience with your fair ruler. Glenda is now within her palace awaiting you, returned the captain, for she saw you coming long before you arrived. That is strange, said Tip, wondering. Not at all, answered the scarecrow, for Glenda the Good is a mighty sorceress, and nothing that goes on in the land of Oz escapes her notice. I suppose she knows why we came as well as we do ourselves. Then what was the use of our coming? asked Jack stupidly. To prove you are a pumpkin head, retorted the scarecrow, but if the sorceress expects us, we must not keep her waiting. So they all clambered out of the sofas and followed the captain toward the palace, even the sawhorse taking his place in the queer procession. Upon her throne of finely wrought gold sat Glenda, and she could scarcely repress a smile as her peculiar visitors entered and bowed before her. Both the scarecrow and the tin woodman she knew and liked, but the awkward pumpkin head and highly magnified wogglebug were creatures she had never seen before, and they seemed even more curious than the others. As for the sawhorse, he looked to be nothing more than an animated chunk of wood, and he bowed so stiffly that his head bumped against the floor, causing a ripple of laughter among the soldiers, in which Glenda frankly joined. I beg to announce to your royal highness, began the scarecrow in a solemn voice, that my emerald city has been overrun by a crowd of impudent girls with knitting needles who have enslaved all the men, robbed the streets and public buildings of all their emerald jewels, and usurped my throne. I know it, said Glenda. They also threaten to destroy me, as well as all the good friends and allies you see before you, continued the scarecrow. Had we not managed to escape their clutches, our days would long since have ended. I know it, repeated Glenda. Therefore, I have come to beg your assistance, resumed the scarecrow, for I believe you are always glad to succor the unfortunate and oppressed. That is true, replied the sorceress slowly. But the Emerald City is now ruled by General Ginger, who has caused herself to be proclaimed queen. What right have I to oppose her? Why, she stole the throne from me. Said the scarecrow. And how came you to possess the throne? asked Glenda. I got it from the Wizard of Oz, and by the choice of the people, returned the scarecrow, uneasy at such questioning. And where did the wizard get it? she continued gravely. He took it from Pastoria, the former king, said the scarecrow, becoming confused under the intent look of the sorceress. Then, declared Glenda, The throne of the Emerald City belongs neither to you nor to Ginger, but to this Pastoria from whom the wizard usurped it. 
That is true, acknowledged the scarecrow humbly, but Pastoria is now dead and gone, and someone must rule in his place. Pastoria had a daughter, who is the rightful heir to the throne of the Emerald City. Did you know that? questioned the sorceress. No, replied the scarecrow, but if the girl still lives, I will not stand in her way. It will satisfy me as well to have Ginger turned out, as an impostor, as to regain the throne myself. In fact, it isn't much fun to be a king, especially if one has good brains. I have known for some time that I am fitted to occupy a far more exalted position. But where is the girl who owns the throne, and what is her name? Her name is Ozma, answered Glinda. But where she is, I have tried in vain to discover. For the Wizard of Oz, when he stole the throne from Ozma's father, hid the girl in some secret place, and by means of a magical trick with which I am not familiar, he also managed to prevent her being discovered, even by so experienced a sorceress as myself. That is strange, interrupted the Wogglebug pompously. I have been informed that the wonderful Wizard of Oz was nothing more than a humbug. Nonsense! exclaimed the scarecrow, much provoked by this speech. Didn't he give me this wonderful set of brains? There is no humbug about my heart, announced the tin woodman, glaring indignantly at the wogglebug. Perhaps I was misinformed, stammered the insect, shrinking back. I never knew the wizard personally. Well, we did, retorted the scarecrow, and he was a very great wizard, I assure you. It is true he was guilty of some slight impostures. But unless he was a great wizard, how, let me ask, could he have hidden this girl, Ozma, so securely that no one can find her? I, I give up, replied the Wogglebug meekly. That is the most sensible speech you've made, said the Tin Woodman. I must really make another effort to discover where this girl is hidden, resumed the sorceress thoughtfully. I have in my library a book in which is inscribed every action of the wizard while he was in our land of Oz, or at least every action that could be observed by my spies. This book I will read carefully tonight, and try to single out the acts that may guide us to discovering the lost Ozma. In the meantime, pray amuse yourselves in my palace and command my servants as if they were your own. I will grant you another audience tomorrow. With this gracious speech, Glenda dismissed the adventurers, and they wandered away through the beautiful gardens, where they passed several hours enjoying all the delightful things with which the Queen of the Southland had surrounded her royal palace. On the following morning, they again appeared before Glenda, who said to them, I have searched carefully through the records of the wizard's actions, and among them I can find but three that appear to have been suspicious. He ate beans with a knife. Made three secret visits to old Mombi, and limped slightly on his left foot. Ah, that last is certainly suspicious, exclaimed the pumpkin head. Not necessarily, said the scarecrow. He may have had corns. Now it seems to me that his eating beans with a knife is more suspicious. Perhaps it is a polite custom in Omaha, from which great country the wizard originally came, suggested the tin woodman. It may be, admitted the scarecrow. But why, asked Glenda, did he make three secret visits to old Mombi? Ah, why indeed, echoed the, echoed the Wogglebug impressively. We know that the wizard taught the old woman many of his tricks of magic, continued Glenda, and this he would not have done had she not assisted him in some way. 
so we may suspect with good reason that Mombi aided him to hide the girl Ozma, who was the real heir to the throne of the Emerald City, and a constant danger to the usurper. For if the people knew that she lived, they would quickly make her their queen and restore her to her rightful position. An able argument, cried the scarecrow. I have no doubt that Mombi was mixed up with this wicked business, but how does this knowledge help us? We must find Mombi, replied Glenda, and force her to tell where the girl is hidden. Mombi is with Queen Ginger in the Emerald City, said Tip. It was she who threw so many obstacles in our pathway and made Ginger threaten to destroy my friends and give me back into the old witch's power. Then, declared Glenda, I will march with my army to the Emerald City and take Mombi prisoner. After that, we can perhaps force her to tell the truth about Ozma. She is a terrible old woman, remarked Tip with a shudder at the thought of Mombi's black kettle, and obstinate too. I am quite obstinate myself, returned the sorceress with a sweet smile. So I do not fear Mombi in the least. Today I will make all necessary preparations, and we will march upon the Emerald City at daybreak tomorrow. End Chapter Twenty. Well, I missed out on playing some music there at the end, but I can make up for it. Yeah. So the the real secret of the true ruler of Oz has just been revealed. Mm-hmm. Well, they're they're kind of they're thinking about it. They're thinking, oh, okay, there was all right. There was a true ruler of Oz. There was a conspiracy with the wizard and Mombi. Yeah. There to was. Uh, keep her out of power. So that's some that's some pretty you know that's some pretty advanced uh, political drama for a, a kid's book. Heavy stuff. Yeah. But this is something that, you know, different royal families of Europe would send a child away to keep them safe, you know, from political intrigue. Yeah. It's not the first time this has happened. Usually to a monastery or a nunnery, you know? Yeah. That's wild. It is wild. Um, let me see. But yeah. So yeah, this was uh, this is pretty great. I'm. It's uh, pretty I'm great. I'm I'm pretty excited because you know Ozma of Oz is as you pointed out, um, is uh, there's um you know that's going to be what we're going to do in the next series at some point we're going to do Ozma of Oz. For time for go to bed. Yeah. Although I wouldn't mind if we tried to actually read it ourselves and take a little more time, you know, uh, you know, yeah. make it our own. Um, and uh, if you would like to do that, I would like to do that because I have uh, I mean, of course, we can find the written version, but I have a couple versions up in the attic. Oh, I yeah. looked through all my Oz books and realized in different. I mean, they're not the same versions they're not like neat they're not they're, but i do have a written version of every mm -hmm. oz book that l frank Baum has written and a yeah. couple ruth uh i forget the next author's name i know her first name's ruth plumley 
several of those. I don't know. But I do so, have uh, hard copies. Well, we've gotten through the first hour, and I think we will have... We'll definitely have enough time to play the rest and the Anderson um, piece you wanted to play. But uh, the next one is um, Tin Woodsman mm -hmm. Plucks a Rose. All right. Let's find out what do happens. Do you remember this? No, I do not. All right. I have well, no idea. I know some. I know one major plot move that you don't know maybe, but I'm excited. A twist? A, tw a twist. Twist in the tail. Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. On uh, Tin Woodsman plucks a rose. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum. Chapter Twenty-One. The Tin Woodman plucks a rose. The army of Glenda the Good looked very grand and imposing when it assembled at daybreak before the palace gates. The uniforms of the girls' soldiers were pretty and of gay colors, and their silver-tipped spears were bright and glistening, the long shafts being inlaid with mother-of-pearl. All the officers wore sharp, gleaming swords and shields edged with peacock feathers, and it really seemed that no foe could by any possibility defeat such a brilliant army. The sorceress rode in a beautiful palaquin, which was like the body of a coach, having doors and windows with silken curtains. But instead of wheels, which a coach has, the palaquin rested upon two long horizontal bars, which were borne upon the shoulders of twelve servants. The scarecrow and his comrades decided to ride in the gump, in order to keep up with the swift march of the army. So as soon as Glenda had started and her soldiers had marched away to the inspiring strains of music played by the royal band, our friends climbed into the sofas and followed. The gump flew along slowly at a point directly over the palaquin, in which rode the sorceress. "'Be careful,' said the tin woodman to the scarecrow, who was leaning far over the side to look at the army below. "'You might fall.' "'It wouldn't matter,' remarked the educated Wogglebug. "'He can't get broke as long as he's stuffed with money.' "'Didn't I ask you?' began Tip in a reproachful voice. "'You did,' said the Wogglebug promptly. "'And I beg your pardon. I will really try to restrain myself.' "'You'd better,' declared the boy. "'That is, if you wish to travel in our company.' "'Ah, I couldn't bear to part with you now,' murmured the insect feelingly, so Tip let the subject drop. The army moved steadily on, but night had fallen before they came to the walls of the Emerald City. By the dim light of the new moon, however, Glenda's forces silently surrounded the city and pitched their tents of scarlet silk upon the greensward. The tent of the sorceress was larger than the others, and was composed of pure white silk, with scarlet banners flying above it. A tent was also pitched for the scarecrow's party, and when these preparations had been made, with military precision and quickness, the army retired to rest. Great was the amazement of Queen Ginger next morning when her soldiers came running to inform her of the vast army surrounding them. She at once climbed to a high tower of the royal palace, and saw banners waving in every direction, and the great white tent of Glenda standing directly before the gates. "'We are surely lost!' cried Ginger in despair. 
For how can our kneading needles avail against the long spears and terrible swords of our foes? The best thing we can do, said one of the girls, is to surrender as quickly as possible before we get hurt. Not so, returned Ginger more bravely. The enemy is still outside the walls, so we must try to gain time by engaging them in parley. Go, you with a flag of truce, to Glenda, and ask her why she has dared to invade my dominions, and what are her demands. So the girl passed through the gates, bearing a white flag to show she was on a mission of peace, and came to Glenda's tent. Tell your queen, said the sorceress to the girl, that she must deliver up to me old Mombi to be my prisoner. If this is done, I will not molest her farther. Now, when this message was delivered to the queen, it filled her with dismay, for Mombi was her chief counselor, and Ginger was terribly afraid of the old hag. But she sent for Mombi and told her what Glenda had said. I see trouble ahead for all of us, muttered the old witch, after glancing into a magic mirror she carried in her pocket. But we may even yet escape by deceiving this sorceress, clever as she thinks herself. Don't you think it will be safer for me to deliver you into her hands? asked Ginger nervously. If you do, it will cost you the throne of the Emerald City, answered the witch positively. But if you will let me have my own way, I can save us both very easily. Then do as you please, replied Ginger, for it is so aristocratic to be a queen that I do not wish to be obliged to return home again to make beds and wash dishes for my mother. So Mombi called Jillia Jam to her and performed a certain magical rite with which she was familiar. As a result of the enchantment, Jillia took on the form and features of Mombi, while the old witch grew to resemble the girl so closely that it seemed impossible anyone could guess the deception. Now, said old Mombi to the queen, let your soldiers deliver this girl to Glenda. She will think she has the real Mombi in her power, and so will return immediately to her own country in the south. Therefore, Jillia, hobbling along like an aged woman, was led from the city gates and taken before Glenda. Here's the person you demanded, said one of the guards, and our queen now begs you will go away as you promised and leave us in peace. That I will surely do, replied Glenda, much pleased, if this is really the person she seems to be. It is certainly old Mombi, said the guard, who believed she was speaking the truth, and then Ginger's soldiers returned within the city's gates. The sorceress quickly summoned the scarecrow and his friends to her tent, and began to question the supposed Mombi about the lost girl Ozma. But Jillia knew nothing at all of this affair, and presently she grew so nervous under the questioning that she gave way and began to weep, to Glenda's great astonishment. Here is some foolish trickery, said the sorceress, her eyes flashing with anger. This is not Mombi at all, but some other person who has been made to resemble her. Tell me, she demanded, turning to the trembling girl, what is your name? This Jillia dared not tell, having been threatened with death by the witch if she confessed the fraud. But Glenda, sweet and fair though she was, understood magic better than any other person in the land of Oz. So by uttering a few potent words and making a peculiar gesture, she quickly transformed the girl into her proper shape, while at the same time old Mombi, far away in Ginger's palace, suddenly resumed her own crooked form and evil features. Why, it's Jillia Jam! cried the scarecrow, recognizing the girl as one of his old friends. 
"'It's our interpreter,' said the pumpkinhead, smiling pleasantly. Then Jillia was forced to tell of the trick Mombi had played, and she also begged Glenda's protection, which the sorceress readily granted. But Glenda was now really angry, and sent word to Ginger that the fraud was discovered, and she must deliver the real Mombi, or suffer terrible consequences. Ginger was prepared for this message, for the witch well understood, when her natural form was thrust upon her, that Glenda had discovered her trickery. But the wicked old creature had already thought up a new deception, and had made Ginger promise to carry it out. So the queen said to Glenda's messenger, "'Tell your mistress that I cannot find Mombi anywhere, but that Glenda is welcome to enter the city and search herself for the old woman. She may also bring her friends with her, if she likes, but if she does not find Mombi by sundown, the sorceress must promise to go away peaceably and bother us no more.' Glenda agreed to these terms, well knowing that Mombi was somewhere within the city walls. So Ginger caused the gates to be thrown open, and Glenda marched in at the head of a company of soldiers.' followed by the scarecrow and the tin woodman, while Jack Pumpkinhead rode astride the sawhorse, and the educated, highly magnified Wogglebug sauntered behind in a dignified manner. Tip walked by the side of the sorceress, for Glenda had conceived a great liking for the boy. Of course old Mombi had no intention of being found by Glenda, so while her enemies were marching up the street, the witch transformed herself into a red rose, growing upon a bush in the garden of the palace. It was a clever idea, and a trick Glenda did not suspect. So several precious hours were spent in a vain search for Mombi. As sundown approached, the sorceress realized that she had been defeated by the superior cunning of the aged witch, so she gave the command to her people to march out of the city and back to their tents. The scarecrow and his comrades happened to be searching in the garden of the palace just then, and they turned with disappointment to obey Glenda's command. But before they left the garden, the tin woodman, who was fond of flowers, chanced to espy a big red rose growing upon a bush. So he plucked the flower and fastened it securely in the tin buttonhole of his tin bosom. As he did this, he fancied he heard a low moan proceed from the rose, but he paid no attention to the sound. And Mombi was thus carried out of the city and into Glenda's camp without anyone having a suspicion that they had succeeded in their quest. End Chapter 21. Mm. Yep. And they're victorious, and they don't even know it. Very clever. Wow. So, um... Yeah, so, no, but, uh... What did you think of the, the plucking of the rose? Well, um, like I said, it was just something he impulsively did, but that's Mombi. Mombi had hidden herself as a rose, but it just so happened that the Tin Woodsman plucked that rose that she was. So. Yeah. That's interesting. So, but, um, um, but yeah, so the next one is the, the transformation of old Mombi. Yeah, how many chapters do we have? Uh, three. Three, okay. Gosh, I can't wait. All right. All right, so shall we check in with the the transformation of old Mombi? Hey, hey, hey we, yeah. we're going to we're gonna yeah. have a transformation of our own soon into uh, exactly. a, a, almost brand new show called... Time for Go to Bed. Yeah, next Thursday. It. Time for Go to Bed. Thank you, Tori right. Johnson. 
This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 22 The Transformation of Old Mombi The witch was at first frightened at finding herself captured by the enemy, but soon she decided that she was exactly as safe in the tin woodman's buttonhole as growing upon the bush, for no one knew the Rose and Mombi to be one. And now that she was without the gates of the city, her chances of escaping altogether from Glenda were much improved. "'But there is no hurry,' thought Mombi. "'I will wait a while and enjoy the humiliation of this sorceress when she finds I have outwitted her.' So throughout the night the rose lay quietly on the woodman's bosom. And in the morning, when Glenda summoned our friends to a consultation, Nick Chopper carried his pretty flower with him to the white silk tent. "'For some reason,' said Glenda, "'we have failed to find this cunning old Mombi. So I fear our expedition will prove a failure, and for that I am sorry.' because without our assistance little Ozma will never be rescued and restored to her rightful position as Queen of the Emerald City. Do not let us give up so easily, said the pumpkin head. Let us do something else. Something else must really be done, replied Glenda with a smile. Yet I cannot understand how I have been defeated so easily by an old witch who knows far less of magic than I do myself. While we are on the ground, I believe it would be wise for us to conquer the Emerald City for Princess Ozma, and find the girl afterward, said the Scarecrow. And while the girl remains hidden, I will gladly rule in her place, for I understand the business of ruling much better than Ginger does. But I have promised not to molest Ginger, objected Glenda. Suppose you all return with me to my kingdom, or empire, rather, said the tin woodman politely, including the entire party in a royal wave of his arm. It will give me great pleasure to entertain you in my castle, where there is room enough and to spare. And if any of you wish to be nickel-plated, my valet will do it free of all expense. While the woodman was speaking, Glenda's eyes had been noting the rose in his buttonhole, and now she imagined she saw the big red leaves of the flower tremble slightly. This quickly aroused her suspicions, and in a moment more the sorceress had decided that the seeming rose was nothing else than a transformation of old Mombi. At the same instant Mombi knew she was discovered and must quickly plan an escape, and as transformations were easy to her, she immediately took the form of a shadow and glided along the wall of the tent toward the entrance, thinking thus to disappear. But Glenda had not only equal cunning, but far more experience than the witch. So the sorceress reached the opening of the tent before the shadow, and with a wave of her hand closed the entrance so securely that Mombi could not find a crack big enough to creep through. The scarecrow and his friends were greatly surprised at Glenda's actions, for none of them had noted the shadow. But the sorceress said to them, Remain perfectly quiet, all of you, for the old witch is even now with us in this tent, and I hope to capture her. 
These words so alarmed Mombi that she quickly transformed herself from a shadow to a black ant, in which shape she crawled along the ground, seeking a crack or crevice in which to hide her tiny body. Fortunately, the ground where the tent had been pitched, being just before the sea gates, was hard and smooth, and while the ant still crawled about, Glenda discovered it and ran quickly forward to effect its capture. But just as her hand was descending, the witch, now fairly frantic with fear, made her last transformation, and in the form of a huge griffin sprang through the wall of the tent, tearing the silk asunder in her rush, and in a moment had darted away with the speed of a whirlwind. Glenda did not hesitate to follow. She sprang upon the back of the sawhorse and cried, Now you shall prove that you have a right to be alive. Run, run, run! The sawhorse ran. Like a flash he followed the griffin, his wooden legs moving so fast that they twinkled like the rays of a star. Before our friends could recover from their surprise, both the griffin and the sawhorse had dashed out of sight. Come, let us follow! cried the scarecrow. They ran to the place where the gump was lying and quickly tumbled aboard. Fly! commanded Tip eagerly. Where to? asked the gump in its calm voice. I don't know, returned Tip, who was very nervous at the delay. But if you will mount into the air, I think we can discover which way Glenda has gone. Very well, returned the gump quietly, and it spread its great wings and mounted high into the air. Far away across the meadows, they could now see two tiny specks speeding one after the other, and they knew these specks must be the griffin and the sawhorse. So Tip called the gump's attention to them and bade the creature try to overtake the witch and the sorceress. But swift as was the gump's flight, the pursued and the pursuer moved more swiftly yet, and within a few moments were blotted out against the dim horizon. Let us continue to follow them, nevertheless, said the scarecrow. For the land of Oz is of small extent, and sooner or later they must both come to a halt. Old Mombi had thought herself very wise to choose the form of a griffin, for its legs were exceedingly fleet, and its strength more enduring than that of other animals. But she had not reckoned on the untiring energy of the sawhorse, whose wooden limbs could run for days without slacking their speed. Therefore, after an hour's hard running, the griffin's breath began to fail, and it panted and gasped painfully and moved more slowly than before. Then it reached the edge of the desert and began racing across the deep sands, but its tired feet sank far into the sand, and in a few minutes the griffin fell forward, completely exhausted, and lay still upon the desert waste. Glenda came up a moment later, riding the still vigorous sawhorse, and having unwound a slender golden thread from her girdle, the sorceress threw it over the head of the panting and helpless griffin, and so destroyed the magical power of Mombi's transformation. For the animal, with one fierce shudder, disappeared from view, while in its place was discovered the form of the old witch glaring savagely at the serene and beautiful face of the sorceress. End chapter 22. That was a quick one. Very quick. They're getting shorter and shorter. So yeah. my apologies to... Uh, uh, I, 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 something insane just happened with my gaming group. Uh, I was getting yeah. messages from people. 
And there was some kind of anomaly that gave us like millions and millions of gold. (laughs) (laughs) And I just checked into my game and there's like, I have 79.65 million gold. The other day I had one one gold. (laughs) Wow. So um, I don't think they're going to let me keep it. But anyway, yeah, my apologies to Foxfire. Kiddo defeats a wheeler. She took uh, 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 she uh, kiddo uh, snagged three of the wheels of a wheeler from Oz and left him stymied with one wheel. <laughs> so of course, one wheel on kiddo for every head. So <laughs> and I can't wait to start coloring that. That's fun. Um, but yeah, that's that's super great. Thank you so much as always, Foxfire, and uh, we welcome you to provide art on Thursdays. On, uh, what's the new show called? Time for go to bed. Yes. <laughs> so. So, yeah, this movie, this movie, uh, it's a movie of the mind. This this uh, uh, story is zipping right along. And we have roughly 25 minutes left of story. And that'll, if we do that, if we bang this out, then we'll have. Um, we can the, do it. The butterfly as well. Yeah. So, I say... Or we, we might save the butterfly for the first story of the new show, but... Could be, could be. Um, if time, you know, doesn't allow. But this is, this official right here, Princess Ozma of Oz, is this chapter. Mm-hmm. You ready? Yeah, this is the one I've been waiting for, I think. Okay, let's go. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 23 Princess Ozma of Oz You are my prisoner, and it is useless for you to struggle any longer, said Glinda in her soft, sweet voice. Lie still a moment and rest yourself, and then I will carry you back to my tent. "'Why do you seek me?' asked Mombi, still scarce able to speak plainly for lack of breath. "'What have I done to you to be so persecuted?' "'You have done nothing to me,' answered the gentle sorceress. "'But I suspect you have been guilty of several wicked actions, and if I find it is true that you have so abused your knowledge of magic, I intend to punish you severely.' "'I defy you.' croaked the old hag. You dare not harm me. Just then the gump flew up to them and alighted upon the desert sands beside Glenda. Our friends were delighted to find that Mombi had finally been captured, and after a hurried consultation it was decided they should all return to camp in the gump. So the sawhorse was tossed aboard, and then Glenda, still holding the end of the golden thread that was around Mombi's neck, forced her prisoner to climb into the sofas. The others now followed, and Tip gave the word to the gump to return. The journey was made in safety, Mombi sitting in her place with a grim and sullen air, for the old hag was absolutely helpless so long as the magical thread encircled her throat. The army hailed Glenda's return with loud cheers, and the party of friends soon gathered again in the royal tent, which had been neatly repaired during their absence. Now, said the sorceress to Mombi, I want you to tell us why the wonderful Wizard of Oz paid you three visits, and what became of the child Ozma, 
which so curiously disappeared. The witch looked at Glenda defiantly, but said not a word. Answer me! cried the sorceress, but still Momby remained silent. Perhaps she doesn't know, remarked Jack. I beg you will keep quiet, said Tip. You might spoil everything with your foolishness. Very well, dear father, returned the pumpkin head meekly. How glad I am to be a wogglebug! murmured the highly magnified insect softly. No one can expect wisdom to flow from a pumpkin. Well, said the scarecrow, what shall we do to make Momby speak? Unless she tells us what we wish to know, her capture will do us no good at all. Suppose we try kindness, suggested the tin woodman. I've heard that anyone can be conquered with kindness, no matter how ugly they may be. At this the witch turned to glare upon him so horribly that the tin woodman shrank back abashed. Glenda had been carefully considering what to do, and now she turned to Momby and said, You will gain nothing, I assure you, by thus defying us, for I am determined to learn the truth about the girl Ozma, and unless you tell me all that you know, I will certainly put you to death. Oh, no, don't do that, exclaimed the tin woodman. It would be awful to kill anyone, even old Momby. But it is merely a threat, returned Glenda. I shall not put Momby to death, because she will prefer to tell me the truth. Oh, I see, said the tin woodman, much relieved. Suppose I tell you all that you wish to know, said Momby, speaking so suddenly that she startled them all. What will you do with me then? In that case, replied Glenda, I shall merely ask you to drink a powerful draught, which will cause you to forget all the magic you ever learned. Then I would become a helpless old woman. But you would be alive, suggested the pumpkin head consolingly. Do try to keep silent, said Tip nervously. I'll try, responded Jack, but you will admit that it's a good thing to be alive. Especially if one happens to be thoroughly educated, added the wogglebug, nodding approval. You may make your choice, Glenda said to old Momby. "'between death if you remain silent "'and the loss of your magical powers if you tell me the truth. "'But I think you will prefer to live.' "'Momby cast an uneasy glance at the sorceress "'and saw that she was in earnest and not to be trifled with, "'so she replied slowly, "'I will answer your questions.' "'That is what I expected,' said Glenda pleasantly. "'You have chosen wisely, I assure you.' She then motioned to one of her captains, who brought her a beautiful golden casket. From this the sorceress drew an immense white pearl attached to a slender chain, which she placed around her neck in such a way that the pearl rested upon her bosom, directly over her heart. Now, she said, I will ask my first question. Why did the wizard pay you three visits? Because I would not come to him, answered Momby. That is no answer said Glenda sternly. Tell me the truth. Well, returned Momby with downcast eyes, he visited me to learn the way I make tea biscuits. Look up, commanded the sorceress. Momby obeyed. What is the color of my pearl? demanded Glenda. Why, it is black, replied the old witch in a tone of wonder. Then you have told me a falsehood cried Glenda angrily. Only when the truth is spoken will my magic pearl remain pure white in color. 
Mombi now saw how useless it was to try to deceive the sorceress, so she said, meanwhile scowling at her defeat, The wizard brought me the girl, Ozma, who was then no more than a baby, and begged me to conceal the child. That is what I thought, declared Glinda calmly. What did he give you for thus serving him? He taught me all the magical tricks he knew. Some were good tricks, and some were only frauds, but I have remained faithful to my promise. What did you do with the girl? asked Glinda, and at this question everyone bent forward and listened eagerly for the reply. I enchanted her, answered Mombi. In what way? I transformed her into... into... Into what? demanded Glinda, as the witch hesitated. Into a boy, said Mombi in a low tone. A boy? echoed every voice, and then, because they knew that this old woman had reared Tip from childhood, all eyes were turned to where the boy stood. Yes, said the old witch, nodding her head. That is the Princess Ozma, the child brought to me by the wizard who stole her father's throne. That is the rightful ruler of the Emerald City, and she pointed her long, bony finger straight at the boy. I cried Tip in amazement. Why, I'm no Princess Ozma. I'm not a girl. Glenda smiled, and going to Tip, she took his small brown hand within her dainty white one. You are not a girl just now, said she gently, because Mombi transformed you into a boy. But you were born a girl, and also a princess, so you must resume your proper form that you may become queen of the Emerald City. Oh, let Ginger be the queen, exclaimed Tip, ready to cry. I want to stay a boy and travel with the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman and the Wogglebug and Jack. Yes, and my friend the Sawhorse and the Gump. I don't want to be a girl. Never mind, old chap, said the Tin Woodman soothingly. It doesn't hurt to be a girl, I'm told. And we will all remain your faithful friends just the same. And to be honest with you, I've always considered girls nicer than boys. They're just as nice anyway, added the scarecrow, patting Tip affectionately upon the head. And they are equally good students, proclaimed the wogglebug. I should like to become your tutor when you are transformed into a girl again. But see here, said Jack Pumpkinhead with a gasp, if you become a girl, you can't be my dear father any more. No, answered Tip, laughing in spite of his anxiety, and I shall not be sorry to escape the relationship. Then he added hesitantly as he turned to Glinda, I might try it for a while just to see how it seems, you know, but if I don't like being a girl, you must promise to change me into a boy again. Really, said the sorceress, that is beyond my magic. I never deal in transformations, for they are not honest, and no respectable sorceress likes to make things appear to be what they are not. Only unscrupulous witches use the art, and therefore I must ask Mombi to effect your release from her charm and restore you to your proper form. It will be the last opportunity she will have to practice magic. Now that the truth about Princess Ozma had been discovered, Mombi did not care what became of Tip, but she feared Glenda's anger, and the boy generously promised to provide for Mombi in her old age if he became the ruler of the Emerald City. So the witch consented to effect the transformation, and preparations for the event were at once made. 
Glenda ordered her own royal couch to be placed in the center of the tent. It was piled high with cushions covered with rose-colored silk, and from a golden railing above hung many folds of pink gossamer, completely concealing the interior of the couch. The first act of the witch was to make the boy drink a potion, which quickly sent him into a deep and dreamless sleep. Then the tin woodman and the wogglebug bore him gently to the couch, placed him upon the soft cushions, and drew the gossamer hangings to shut him from all earthly view. The witch squatted upon the ground and kindled a tiny fire of dried herbs, which she drew from her bosom. When the blaze shot up and burned clearly, old Mombi scattered a handful of magical powder over the fire, which straightway gave off a rich violet vapor. Filling all the tent with its fragrance and forcing the sawhorse to sneeze, although he had been warned to keep quiet. Then, while the others watched her curiously, the hag chanted a rhythmical verse in words which no one understood, and bent her lean body seven times back and forth over the fire. And now, the incantation seemed complete, for the witch stood upright and cried the one word, "Yawa." In a loud voice, the vapor floated away. The atmosphere became clear again. A whiff of fresh air filled the tent, and the pink curtains of the couch trembled slightly, as if stirred from within. Glenda walked to the canopy and parted the silken hangings. Then she bent over the cushions, reached out her hand, and from the couch arose the form of a young girl, fresh and beautiful as a May morning. Her eyes sparkled as two diamonds, and her lips were tinted like a tourmaline. All adown her back floated tresses of ruddy gold, with a slender jeweled circlet confining them at the brow. Her robes of silken gauze floated around her like a cloud, and dainty satin slippers shod her feet. At this exquisite vision, Tip's old comrades stared in wonder for the space of a full minute. And then every head bent low in honest admiration of the lovely princess Ozma. The girl herself cast one look into Glenda's bright face, which glowed with pleasure and satisfaction, and then turned upon the others, speaking the words with sweet diffidence. She said, "I hope none of you will care less for me than you did before. I'm just the same tip, you know. Only, only, only you're different," said the pumpkin head. And everyone thought it was the wisest speech he had ever made. End, chapter twenty-three. Wow, that is that is. Uh, now you told me that about this before. I did, but I forgot who Tip was. So yeah, this is interesting because it's easy because I've gotten I've gotten to know Tip quite well now through this uh, story. And I yeah. was like, where the heck is Tip in the beginning? What's going on? Yeah. You know, you yeah. know, we were listening and, and Tip wasn't there. Um and wow, this is uh that's pretty pretty rad. Yeah. I always wanted um I, I you know, like a, like uh Foxfire, I read this when I was twelve or whatever, ten, mm-hmm. I forget um, what grade that is. But um yeah. I always wanted someone to talk to about it. <laughs> That's why we're reading it now and here. But yeah, yeah it's, I think it's a it's a fun character. Very and, impressive. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, you know, and 
the uh, and again, this is you know kind of uh, introducing a, a, a transgender character, um, you know, in children's literature in in a positive way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure you know uh, there are people who might be critical of it, and they would have every right to be, but um, mm-hmm. but uh, so far, I think it you know for the time it's being handled. Um, in my humble opinion, I think it's being handled rather well, you know. So, but what do I know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. no, it, very interesting. Um, I thought it was inter- an interesting way to um, talk about it. I, I just really, this is how he brings things up. It's subtle, but it's it's there. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is one of the first transgender um, characters, but... Uh, now cats in, now in, cats and the thing maybe she can tell me if there are other characters I don't know about yeah but so interesting yeah. um yeah but uh but yeah so um I, I I did remember you talked about both characters but I didn't remember um yeah. he talks about, he does talk about um and cat what says is it? Ozma is very beloved in the trans community obviously yeah so yeah but um, maybe it's not considered to be transgender. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> no, no. Cat saying, yeah, you know, it's a, cool. it's a beloved character in the community, so that's good. Okay, um, yeah. but yeah, I do remember you telling me about this, but I didn't remember. I, I wasn't even thinking that that was part of this story. It's like I knew Ozma and I knew Tip, but and I knew you told me about the characters and the arc and everything, but I didn't connect the dots. So that was nice. That was a nice little surprise. Again, mm-hmm. you know understanding who tip is and everything and then yeah. you know and everybody's just like well. I, I like the way l frank Baum talks about politics talks mm-hmm. about personal issues talks about a lot of things like that yeah um kind of a subtle way kind of not too in your face you know yeah. but yeah so is that the final chapter or is there no there's, there's one final there's one final chapter okay uh, well, that was the reveal and twist that I was yeah. waiting for. So. Well, there we go. And the last chapter is called... No, I'm playing the wrong thing. That's not the transition <laughs> music. That's not the transition music. Um, The last one is called Riches of Content. Nice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 24 The Riches of Content When the wonderful tidings reached the ears of Queen Ginger, how Mombi the witch had been captured, how she had confessed her crime to Glinda, and how the long-lost Princess Ozma had been discovered in no less a personage than the boy Tip, she wept real tears of grief and despair. To think, she moaned, that after having ruled as queen and lived in a palace, I must go back to scrubbing floors and churning butter again. It is too horrible to think of. I will never consent. So when her soldiers, who spent most of their time making fudge in the palace kitchens, counseled Ginger to resist, She listened to their foolish prattle, and sent a sharp defiance to Glenda the Good and the Princess Ozma. 
the result was a declaration of war, and the very next day Glenda marched upon the Emerald City with pennants flying and bands playing, and a forest of shining spears sparkling brightly beneath the sun's rays. But when it came to the walls, this brave assembly made a sudden halt, for Ginger had closed and barred every gateway, and the walls of the Emerald City were builded high and thick with many blocks of green marble. Finding her advance thus baffled, Glenda bent her brows in deep thought, while the Wogglebug said in his most positive tone, We must lay siege to the city and starve it into a submission. It is the only thing we can do. Not so, answered the Scarecrow. We still have the gump, and the gump can still fly. The sorceress turned quickly at this speech, and her face now wore a bright smile. You are right, she exclaimed, and certainly have reason to be proud of your brains. Let us go to the gump at once. So they passed through the ranks of the army until they came to the place near the scarecrow's tent where the gump lay. Glinda and Princess Ozma mounted first and sat upon the sofas. Then the scarecrow and his friends climbed aboard, and still there was room for a captain and three soldiers, which Glinda considered sufficient for a guard. Now, at a word from the princess, the queer thing they called the gump flopped its palm leaf wings and rose into the air, carrying the party of adventurers high above the walls. They hovered over the palace and soon perceived Ginger reclining in a hammock. In the courtyard, where she was comfortably reading a novel with a green cover and eating green chocolates, confident that the walls would protect her from her enemies. Obeying a quick command, the gump alighted safely in this very courtyard, and before Ginger had time to do more than scream, the captain and three soldiers leaped out and made the former queen a prisoner, locking strong chains upon both her wrists. That act really ended the war. For the army of revolt submitted as soon as they knew Ginger to be a captive, and the captain marched in safely through the streets and up to the gates of the city, which she threw wide open. Then the bands played their most stirring music while Glenda's army marched into the city, and heralds proclaimed the conquest of the audacious Ginger and the ascension of the beautiful Princess Ozma to the throne of her royal ancestors. At once the men of the Emerald City cast off their aprons, and it is said that the women were so tired of eating their husbands' cooking that they all hailed the conquest of Ginger with joy. Certain it is that rushing one and all to the kitchens of their houses, the good wives prepared so delicious a feast for the weary men that harmony was immediately restored in every family. Ozma's first act was to oblige the army of revolt to return to her every emerald. Or other gems stolen from the public streets and buildings, and so great was the number of precious stones picked from their settings by these vain girls that every one of the royal jewellers worked steadily for more than a month to replace them in their settings. Meanwhile, the army of revolt was disbanded, and the girls sent home to their mothers. On promise of good behaviour, Ginger was likewise released. Ozma made the loveliest queen the Emerald City had ever known. And although she was so young and inexperienced, she ruled her people with wisdom and justice. For Glenda gave her good advice on all occasions, and the Wogglebug, who was appointed to the important post of public educator, was quite helpful to Ozma when her royal duties grew perplexing. The girl, in her gratitude to the Gump for its services, offered the creature any reward it might name. Then, replied the Gump. 
Please take me to pieces. I did not wish to be brought to life, and I am greatly ashamed of my conglomerate personality. Once I was a monarch of the forest, as my antlers fully prove. But now, in my present upholstered condition of servitude, I am compelled to fly through the air, my legs being of no use to me whatever. Therefore I beg to be dispersed. So Ozma ordered the gump taken apart. The antlered head was again hung over the mantelpiece in the hall, and the sofas were untied and placed in the reception parlors. The broom tail resumed its accustomed duties in the kitchen, and finally the scarecrow replaced all the clotheslines and ropes on the pegs from which he had taken them on the eventful day when the thing was constructed. You might think that was the end of the gump, and so it was as a flying machine. But the head over the mantelpiece continued to talk whenever it took a notion to do so, and it frequently startled with its abrupt questions the people who waited in the hall for an audience with the queen. The sawhorse being Ozma's personal property was tenderly cared for, and often she rode the queer creature along the streets of the Emerald City. She had its wooden legs shod with gold to keep them from wearing out, and the tinkle of those golden shoes upon the pavement always filled the queen's subjects with awe as they thought upon this evidence of her magical powers. The wonderful wizard was never so wonderful as Queen Ozma, the people said to one another in whispers. For he claimed to do many things he could not do, whereas our new queen does many things no one would ever expect her to accomplish. Jack Pumpkinhead remained with Ozma to the end of his days, and he did not spoil as soon as he had feared, although he always remained as stupid as ever. The Wogglebug tried to teach him several arts and sciences, but Jack was so poor a student that any attempt to educate him was soon abandoned. After Glinda's army had marched back home and peace was restored to the Emerald City, the Tin Woodman announced his intention to return to his own kingdom of the Winkies. It isn't a very big kingdom, he said to Ozma, but for that very reason it is easier to rule, and I have called myself an emperor because I am an absolute monarch, and no one interferes in any way with my conduct of public or personal affairs. When I get home I shall have a new coat of nickel plate, for I have become somewhat marred and scratched lately, and then I shall be glad to have you pay me a visit. Thank you, replied Ozma. Some day I may accept the invitation, but what is to become of the scarecrow? I shall return with my friend the Tin Woodman, said the stuffed one seriously. We have decided never to be parted in the future. And I have made the scarecrow my royal treasurer, explained the Tin Woodman. For it has occurred to me that it is a good thing to have a royal treasurer who is made of money. What do you think? I think, said the little queen, smiling, that your friend must be the richest man in all the world. I am, returned the scarecrow, but not on account of my money, for I consider brains far superior to money in every way. You may have noticed that if one has money without brains, he cannot use it to advantage. But if one has brains without money, they will enable him to live comfortably to the end of his days. At the same time, declared the Tin Woodman, you must acknowledge that a good heart is a thing that brains cannot create, and that money cannot buy. Perhaps, after all, it is I who am the richest man in all the world. You are both rich, my friends, said Ozma gently, and your riches are the only riches worth having. The riches of content.
End chapter 24 End The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum You dirt it! You finished the whole book! Yeah. You dirt it. It's pretty good. Yay! The, uh, the royal treasure made of money. Uh, that's hysterical. <laughs> I misspelled yeah. money in the chat room. Hi, Tennessee. You know, I'm sure glad you like that box full of stuff that I need to throw out. <laughs> yeah, these cats are getting angry at me because it's 9 o'clock and time to feed them. Well, They are giving me the wickedest looks. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, well, I, have a bo I just got a shipment of uh, stuff from eBay today. And I was I opened it earlier during the show and took all the stuff out of it and all the packing material is now inside the box and on the floor, which I need to take out to the trash and recycling bin respectively. And Tennessee mm -hmm. has decided to make it is like, you know, craft project of the evening. Uh, so <laughs> he's a little goofball. But no, I really enjoyed this. The, 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 I I feel I feel a lot better having uh, encountered an entire Oz book. Um, yeah without actually having to read it myself um yeah. you know and and that's it's pretty neat you know and and i would yeah. love to do ozma of oz uh, you know yeah. and and uh like i said maybe we'll read it ourselves too um yeah so um it like i said it's it's to me it's interesting to have someone read it to you because i've already read it whereas i can vaguely remember things as they happen um, the the motivation for me to read something is I don't know what's going to happen next. So yeah, yep. And I want to uh, give kudos to um the guy who read it. Um, I oh, I should know his name by now. I've heard it a million times, but I can find out real quick by twenty four opening... times. Yeah, yeah. I told you his name. Um, and uh, let me see. Uh, I can I can see who the reader was. Uh, details. Ooh. I'm very good at selective oh, no, he information didn't. now, so I don't... Anything I think I don't need to know, I don't listen to. Which is sad. Oh, he didn't... He didn't, uh... He didn't put his name in the, uh... In the metadata on it. That's yeah. a shame. Yeah. So, but no, he, it was fun. I liked his little voices and everything. And plus, I was often amused um, by, um, I, sometimes I would hear him click his mouse, and sometimes I would hear kids playing in the background outside, or birds yeah. singing and stuff like that. So, yeah. that was neat. <clears throat> but yeah, so, well, Tennessee's given up on the box. He's, he's moved yeah. on. So Well... Hopefully there's uh, some more exciting stories uh, we can, you know, just follow up with a chapter or two of Oz in the future of, uh, yeah, you know, of uh, Time for Go to Bed. Yeah, um, I, I just think it, it was nice to give a complete, one complete story, you know, done. finish something we started um, yeah. since, you know, the, the Peter Pan stuff will uh, obviously resume. On fairy lights for fairy nights when uh, that comes back in a podcast form, so. Yeah. But um, uh, but yeah, so we're we love Oz and uh, we'll we'll keep g digging deeper into uh, some of the books, and of course we'll stretch it out over the course of time, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and like I said, we we could commit to reading it ourselves, and um, you know, it might, it'll be a chore, but we can do it. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into so, it. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, but, I like uh, reading. I need I need something to drink. You guys can hear my voice mm-hmm. is getting all crappy. Yeah, then you might hear our neighbor's dogs barking in the side and <clears throat> our cats screaming. I will apply a noise that. filter. And oh, edit oh, heavily. Good. And edit heavily. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, but no, no, that was good. Well, um, I'm glad everybody hung around. And of course, Thursdays, we're, we'll be back. Uh, but, you know, Dragon Boats calls for the Sues. So mm-hmm. Tuesdays are out. Yeah. And, uh, of course, it came from Cleveland every Friday with Miles, Michelle, Joe, and myself. And uh, tomorrow night, we're having the big Kolchak special. Very excited. Ooh. We're focusing on four Kolchak episodes and talking a little bit about the career of Darren McGavin. And uh, we'll also have a Twilight Zone episode, uh, a stop at Willoughby. And we might also have um, a brief review of an episode of One Step from One Step yep. Beyond as well. One Step Beyond. Yes. The Madness mm-hmm. Ska classic. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I don't have anything else to say, so Suze, I'll let you have the final no, words I... because my voice is going. I don't either. So uh, let's play some that delightful, magical music. And uh, thank you so much for listening to Stories with Me. And I hope you enjoyed it. And, um, you know, that's about it. I look forward to talking to you on Thursdays and doing some more stories live. Time for go to bed. And, uh... Time for go to bed. Fairy lights for fairy nights. It's time for your bedtime story. Brought to you by me, the Suze. Also brought to you by me, Zelda. Put your PJs on and sit down for a soothing bedtime story. It's not just the devil in the details. What else is lurking? Fairy lights for fairy nights. Thank you.